All right, I'm going to read Proverbs chapter 10, uh, and it'll be verses 20 through 25, and you guys can just uh, listen while I read this to you. Verse 20 says that the tongue of the righteous is pure silver. The heart of the wicked is of little value. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. The Lord's blessing enriches, and he adds no painful effort to it. As shameful conduct is pleasure for a fool, so wisdom is for a person. Oh my goodness. So wisdom is for a person of understanding. What the wicked dreads will come to him, but what the righteous desire will be given to them. When the whirlwind passes, the wicked are no more, but the righteous are secure forever. Thanks, Christian. You guys can open to Matthew 7 for Would You Believe It? Last time. We're finishing the Sermon on the Mount today. This is it. Hopefully not the last time we ever open it, but for this series, yeah, Christian, I purposely found the toughest proverb to read out loud. Scrolled through, found it just for you. <laughs> I had a hard time reading it in my head, so. Well, if there were a common goal for every pastor, every preacher, every teacher, and every believer in regards to Sermon on the Mount, I hope that it would be to normalize the radical words of Jesus, to normalize what he had to say um, in ourselves, the hearers, in our daily lives, that we wouldn't see them as radical, but as a, as a normal reality of life, that that's the expectation rather than something radical. Um, and the reason being for that is that they are normal words for the kingdom. We talked about this. Mike talked about this when he opened the Sermon on the Mount. There are many who um, look at what Jesus was claiming and saying and say, well, that's so radical. He wasn't serious. He wasn't actually serious. It's not actually, he was, you know, it was hyperbole. It was a joke, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Exaggeration. Well, Jesus very clearly meant it literal. And so we take it literal. And so our goal is to take these radical ideas of all the Beatitudes, of how to be salt and light, how to follow Jesus, how to communicate with God, all these things and make them normal in our lives because we want them to radically change us. And they're not going to unless we consider them to be normal things. D.A. Carson um, said this on the, on the, uh, the subject. Um, he said, may God grant his people a spirit of contrition, which petitions him for grace and forgiveness by Jesus Christ and a growing conformity to the norms and perspectives of the kingdom. And this is in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. D.A. Carson, being a very intelligent human that he is, breaks down words to their root meaning. He looks at this all and he says, this is all literal. This is not hyperbole. Jesus meant what he said. And so his goal was that we would start, uh, and he says, in a growing conformity to the norms and perspectives of the kingdom. If we want to be part of the kingdom, we should start acting like we are part of the kingdom. And in which case we need to consider these normal. So what specifically are we to normalize? Verse 24 from our text today says, um, it'll be up on the screen for you. Therefore, everyone who hears these words, these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. This is Jesus speaking. So which words? Well, he said, therefore, he said, therefore, so he's referring to all the words that he spoke before. So he's referring to what we've already been hearing throughout the sermon. 
So essentially what that means is that if we want to understand what he's saying, we have to study the whole sermon again today. So buckle up, because we're going to be here a while. <laughs> we don't actually have time for all that. So I'm going to reference some of the, the concepts that he's saying here. But he's saying, therefore, he's referring to the sermon as simply the contents of his sermon. And they are to be normal in our minds, not thinking that we're going above and beyond by living to the standard that Jesus set. This is not above and beyond. We're not going above the bar. That is the bar. That's normal in Jesus' kingdom. Simply a way to do life. The way to do life. And we're to do it to the point that anything less seems inappropriate. Anything less than what Jesus said seems inappropriate, wrong, incorrect. I'm going to list some of the things that we have read through just real briefly, because again, we don't have time to study the whole thing, but this is the context for what Jesus is tying off here. This is the sermon. Starting with the Beatitudes, Jesus taught us the correct internal attitude and heart posture to have. He taught us the correct outward interactions and attitude towards the world. He taught us the correct view of sin being as being in the heart, not merely an outward action. He taught us how to communicate and interact with God. We took a long time through that prayer. It was awesome. He taught us to not waste our time and words on people that are going to trample on them. He taught us what the road looks like for those that choose to enter the kingdom through the narrow gate and warned against the false prophets that ravage and deceive. All these words, all of them, are what we're attempting, looking to normalize in our daily lives. As a Christian, as a follower of Christ Jesus, as one who believes that he is who he said he was, and that he meant what he said, all of these words are to be normalized in our daily lives. For the preacher, the teacher, and the believer. All of us. It's cool that those words rhyme. I didn't do that on purpose. <laughs> That's just how it just worked out that way. So why is that? Why are they to be normal? Because if they are normal to us, we may be more inclined to act on them. If they seem normal to us, we're going to be more inclined to get to action, get to work, Right? Look at verse 24 again. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, acts on them, <laughs> excuse me, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and acts like him. It's not just hearing. Jesus doesn't want us to simply hear the words. Hearing isn't enough to change a person's life or a person's heart. If you have ever tried to change a person's life or a person's heart, or you've ever tried to change your own life or your own heart, you know that hearing the words doesn't just make it happen. There's more to it than that. It's a learned thing. And just like with learning, where reading words is not the same as experiential knowledge. It's the same way in our hearts. If we want our hearts to change, hearing the truth doesn't automatically make it change. We have to act on them. So when we hear the words that Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, and we want to be like Christ, we have to do them. Do them. A lot of people hate to hear that because it sounds like works. They say, you know, what is this a works-based religion? Is it, you know, are you trying to gain your salvation? No. The gift of salvation is free. It's freely given. It's costly, but it was freely given. And yet, faith without works is dead. It's two things. Salvation comes, but so does sanctification. It doesn't end there. 
It's not the fact that salvation is a gift does not give us an excuse to not then work hard and try hard. The promise given is that if we hear his words and act on them, we will have a firm rock on which to build our lives. The original um, language on that, according to the commentaries I was reading from uh, Morgan and um, Carson, is that those rocks, uh, that rock was actually referenced to rocky. The words they would have used was rocky. The foundation is a rocky foundation, not necessarily one solid stone, but it was just to imply that you were on firm ground. In the Middle East, sometimes that's hard to find. <laughs> sometimes all you got is sand. This, is, this would be a very clear picture for them. And this is both the evidence of our faith and the value of our faith beyond our salvation. This is what makes us salt and light. This is it. God wants to, us to be a light to the world, his light to the world. This is how we do it. This is what makes us different. If we're not using faith given to us by God himself, what is the point in having it? Why have the faith if we're not going to put it to work? A tool in your tool belt is not useful unless you're going to hit a, hammer, hit a nail with it. Don't hit a hammer with your tool. <laughs> Needs to be put to work. James felt the need to reinforce this point to the early church as we read in James 1, 22 through 25. He says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. This person will be blessed in what he does. I think it's funny he talks about seeing your face in a mirror going and then forgetting that. I think this would have more of a significant picture back then because mirrors were rare. <laughs> you were more likely to look into water and see a reflection briefly than you were to look into a mirror in this day and age. Today, it's like everybody knows their face pretty well inside and out, right? We got photos of it. We got videos of it. It's all over your profiles everywhere you go. I log into my Gmail, all my contacts, their photos there. Why? Because they took a photo of themselves and they all synced together. Like we see our faces all the time. But to understand the image, we've got to understand that to look at your face and then to walk away, you quickly forget what that face looks like once it's no longer right in front of your face anymore. So you can no longer see it. I heard a, uh, a, a humorous study done, uh, myth-busting whether or not we really know the backs of our hands. Hey, you think about it. How many hairs are on the back of your hand? I bet you don't know. You know, you might remember one mole, one freckle, something like that. But unless you're actually sitting there, unless you're some sort of like nail person, whatever that's called, um, or whatever, and you're looking at your hand all day, <laughs> hand model or whatever, you're not going to really actually, I mean, you'll look at it all the time and you're not going to remember. You're going to be able to repeat it back. It has to be lived. It has to be understood. And so that's why he says in verse 25 of James 1, he says, but the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. And again, I'll remind you of the analogy of learning. 
hearing information is great, but unless you apply it, it's gone. Try to remember the last math test you did in school. Even if you're in school, you probably don't remember. I forgot all the math I, no, not all the, most of the math I learned, all the advanced math I learned five years after I left school because I wasn't using it. A doer who works, that person will be blessed, he says. Hearing is not enough. If we want real change, if we want real change, if we want to be a different person on the inside and out, if we want to look more like Christ day in and day out, we have to live it. it has to be our life. We hear truth in God's word and from each other. We hear it all the time in prayer and by conviction from the Holy Spirit. At least I hope so. Certainly speaks to me. If we're not changed by it, we have to ask ourselves, am I actually living what I'm hearing from God? If, uh, if the words I've been told over and over again, if the, the, the sins that I go to, if the life areas in my life that are not Christ-like are not changing... They're not changing. Am I just hearing or am I actively putting those things to work? Odds are all of us have both. All of us have both. And that's where, that's where this analogy gets kind of difficult to tackle. This is kind of a difficult passage to tackle. I was finding as I was going, because the reality is if you were to look at our foundations, uh, I feel like you would, you'd have some rock and you'd have some sand. That'd be more of an accurate picture. Maybe seems like there's gaps, right? Do we want to change? We need to live it. That takes a hard effort. That takes an intentional effort. That's free will. That's choice. It's hard work. That's what it is. It comes down to exactly that. Hard work. Just like we do at our jobs, we have to do that internal. Well, what do we get from building upon Jesus' words? Verse 25 explains, the rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. Essentially, we gain the ability to weather the storm. Our life, this building that we've built, our, our existence, everything we've built upon has the ability to withstand a storm. So great. So what's the storm? This is where it breaks down and gets interesting, where I don't 100% know the exact clear answer to give you because I read through some very, very prominent commentators, guys I trust very, very well, and I found two answers, two answers. And all of these guys are smarter than me. So I'm going to give you both answers. Uh, I'll let you chew on it and, and look at God's word and try to understand for yourselves. Most commentators, and this is probably where I would lean, most commentators, this is certainly what Mike, me and Mike chatted with this before he left for the conference, most commentators point to the therefore, right? If the therefore is there, in verse 24, is pointing us directly back to what Jesus said in the last, the last little bit he said, which was verses 21 through 23. Well, what was that? Matthew 7, 21 through 23 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we uh, prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you depart from me, you lawbreakers. 
So the storm, most commentators would say, is God's final judgment. Because he's referring, therefore, right back to that passage. That would be the storm. Looking at what Jesus just said, the logical, grammatical conclusion to, um, is, to what he's saying is that he's talking about God's judgment. And this would make sense, as out of the four commentaries I read, three mentioned that natural disasters, especially floods and winds, were looked as acts of God, destructive acts of God, judgment, acts of God's judgment in Old Testament. Think of the great flood, right? First time the whole world was destroyed. Great flood, right? There were no nukes back then. So storms would have been the highest form of destruction. That kind of language is all about the, the totality of destruction. Well, we know totality of destruction doesn't happen until judgment. So that's why most commentators land on that, that this storm that it is, is described as God's judgment, and that if your house is built on Jesus, then your house will weather the storm. The other commentators that I ran across um, took it from the perspective of what I was saying earlier in that in this analogy, it kind of feels like it's talking about the stability of our lives and that the, the picture isn't entirely perfect because sometimes it feels like we've got some sand in there. Sometimes it feels like we're not building on all the words of Jesus, right? If we were to take to all the words of Jesus, none of us have perfectly built our whole lives on all the words of Jesus. Most likely that's just because we're looking for a perfect, complete picture in one little excerpt from a whole sermon. <laughs> that's probably why. So the judgment is the most common belief, and so that's probably what's true. Then what happens to everyone who doesn't act on the words of Jesus? Verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. A great crash. If you're like me and you're hearing that picture and thinking that sounds more like me, sometimes it feels like my house is falling over. Storms have been hitting my life and I'm not always acting very Christ-like. My building sometimes falls down and, and sometimes feels like it falls down all the time. This week, I haven't lived all the words of Jesus. This week, I haven't been a perfect. You can ask my wife. I had a bad attitude with my wife this week. I wasn't a peacekeeper in the house. We're fine now, but like, you know, throughout the week, like the <laughs> things happen. There's sin in my heart that I had to confess before the Lord. I had to repent of, I had to turn from. I don't always build every piece of my life off of his words. And so you can see where the picture starts to kind of go two different directions sometimes, depending on the way you look at it. Here's the cool thing. Both pictures can be explained with the rest of scripture. <laughs> Both possibilities could absolutely be true, and both possibilities are explainable with the context of all of Scripture, and specifically um, Jesus' own words many times, and words of his own uh, brother James. Sometimes it feels like we're propping the house back up with duct tape, chewing gum, and a prayer, which only seems good enough for a light breeze, never mind a storm. 
So when I hear that picture, I feel like there could also potentially be elements of sanctification mixed in with the image of salvation. We could be seeing a little bit of both. And that's a big old could be, because a lot of commentators that are a whole lot smarter than me says, nah, it's just straight salvation. But two that are smarter than me said, nah, maybe. And perhaps this is only because we have this experience where we've seen the lives of people who love the Lord, and yet their, their life still falls apart. Because it's a reality. People who are only living some of the words of Jesus get shaky and fall apart. We see it in our own lives, and we see it in others. So I don't pretend to exactly know the full extent of what Jesus is saying. But I will say that as an encouragement before I move on, um, I'll read this to you from Paul, the apostle, in Philippians 1.6. Because a lot of people, they'll read this and say, well, if this is God's judgment, if this is God's judgment, my house feels like it's fallen over. Maybe I'm not really saved. I know people have gone to that, gone to that mindset after reading this passage. Well, in Philippians 1, 6, Paul says this with great confidence, speaking to the church in Philippi, I am sure of this. I'm sure, not maybe, I'm convinced. I am sure of this that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's confidence from Paul the Apostle who murdered Christians before God radically changed his life, who had a thorn in his flesh, whatever that means, who had disagreements with fellow apostles and believers that he was doing ministry with. This is great confidence he has from the Lord. On Philippians 1, Spurgeon had this to say, and I love this. I love this. Spurgeon, coming from Spurgeon, who a lot would consider very heavy-handed, he has these encouraging words to say. Where is there an instance in God's creation? He asked a question. Where is there an instance of God's beginning any work and leaving it incomplete? Show me for once a world abandoned and thrown aside half-formed. Show me a universe cast off from the great potter's wheel with the design in outline, the clay half-hardened and the form unshapely from incompleteness from Spurgeon. That is encouraging because he's right. We are not mightier than God. And if he says that he can and will complete the good work that has started through his, through his word given to Paul, then he's right. God's never been proven wrong. The whole universe speaks to how he completes what he starts. On first Philippians one, well, first Philippians on Philippians one, I have this to say, our God finishes his work. Y'all it's much less eloquent than Spurge. But, but it's the same. God's going to complete his work in us. He's not done. So if that, if you see that picture of the house falling over and you feel like that's you and like, maybe, maybe you've just screwed up too much. According to Jesus, if you've entered through the narrow gate, remember we talked about the narrow gate. If you've entered through the narrow gate, which represented Jesus, you're on the hard path. You're doing the hard work. But you've already entered through the narrow gate. Your Jesus is at this point. You belong to Jesus. You belong to God. 
He promised that he's coming back and he promised to finish his work. So with that assurance, I don't know about you, but I've got some Jesus words to act on. I've got beatitudes to live out. I've got light to shine. I can be a contrast for Christ today and the rest of my life. Both those things today and the rest of my life because he did it first and he did it. He did it best. He did it way harder. The worst case scenario is that I die before he returns. Then I'll be with the one that lived the perfect life, then gave it all up for me and for you. That's the worst case scenario. The victory's already won. Worst case scenario, we die before he comes back and then we're with him. Best, ca base, best case scenario is he comes back and then we're with him. <laughs> That's it. Like, there's no fear here. We, I love this. Mike says this all the time. We fight from a victory, not for a victory. That's confidence. That's power. Imagine stepping onto a field or a hockey rink. I've been watching the NHL lately, watching the Krakens get wrecked. <laughs> but imagine walking on the ice and knowing we've already won. What kind of confidence would you have if you knew the outcome? That's for us. We have that confidence. God gave us that confidence. He laid this out for us. And then he shows us that it's going to be hard. And he tells us it's going to be hard. Not to demoralize us, but to ready us. To ready us to get back on our feet. To be the peacekeeper when you realize you haven't been kind to your wife. Or your, your kids. Or your parents. Or your friends or your coworkers. To be salt and light to a community when you're used to hiding. To go quickly to prayer and communicate with the God who revealed himself to us and laid down his life for us. And then in verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teachings. They were amazed. This was radical to them. They weren't looking for a lowly, humble person who mourns over their own sin. It's not what they wanted. They weren't looking for a peacekeeper. They wanted out of Rome. They were astonished at his teaching. But the reason they were astonished is because he was teaching them like the one who had authority and not like the scribes. He was teaching as though he were himself God. As if he, her, if he himself were the end all authority on everything. As if he was one who did the design. It was his plan, his completion. As if his plan was 100% correct. Couldn't be questioned. No doubt about it. Not coming from some school of Pharisees. Not coming from the rabbi down the street. This was very clearly his own words and his own way. Speaking commandments and speaking on the authority of God himself. This is radical. If he spoke that way to a crowd, they had to look at him as one of three ways. That he is either delusional. He really believed he was God, but he wasn't, so he was delusional. He was evil, as in he knew he wasn't God, but he was saying so anyways. So evil intentions. Or that he was actually God himself. With 
that understanding of those are the three options. If we choose that Jesus was he himself, God, then we have to take his word seriously. We have to believe him at his words. And then that should radically inspire us to get at it, to go after it, to live the Beatitudes, to be the salt and light, to be in communication with God. to fight for this world that's dying with the days we got left in us. That's what we've got. Because if Jesus' words were real, then that's what, that's, that's what all of life's about. That's what our entire existence is all about. All the little extra things, the distractions that slow us down through life, all the things that draw our eyes off of him are not what life's about. Life is about the work of Jesus completed here on earth. And someday we're going to do it perfectly in perfect communication with him and the father for all eternity. It's never going to end. I'm going to invite the worship team back up as we close. This is the end of Sermon on the Mount. I didn't have time to go through all the details of it. I didn't have time to go through all the words that we are supposed to be building our, our building upon, building our life upon. I didn't have time to break them all down in a sermon this morning. But you guys all, we, you guys all, we all have the scripture with us every day. And when we have moments where we're struggling where we're dealing with something and we want to know how to rebuild it. We have his word on how to rebuild it right on our bookshelves, in your phones, your devices. It is all around us. So are we actually going there? Are we actually going to the answers that he's provided for us? The solution he's provided for us. This is how we grow this is how we become more like the one who saved us from our sins. We need to go back to this often. We need to see where we're not building our lives upon him and then start doing it. Start doing it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for um, this incredible sermon. This incredible sermon that you gave, these radical words that get to be a normal part of our life. The fact that we should have access to these kingdom truths and values is um, so far above us, so beyond us. It's all your work, Jesus. None of us can boast. We praise you. We worship you for it. We thank you for everything that you've done, everything you're going to continue to do. Lord, I just ask that you would encourage this body of incredible believers as we finish up your sermon to continue to grow, to continue to look to you, to not grow weary so that we can be the sight, the, the light and the salt in this community. Be honored by our worship, be honored by our praise as we praise you on our way out. In your name, amen.